Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Marvin Gaye and Cupcakes have in common. Well, Marvin Gaye's How Sweet It Is and the Cupcake Emoji are being vastly overused and tweeted because this time of year it is the sweet six time six time sweet 16 off to a flying start. Every single team that has made it this far, all 16 of them have tweeted some sort of iteration of it's so sweet or the lyrics or some sort of emoji. Every single fan that just sort of getting used to social media still, even though it's been around for about 15 years. Yeah. It's that time. It's the second weekend of March madness. What a time it was last week. Kansas is moving on and man, how sweet it is. Right. Jonas Nordman here bringing you all the fun, got a loaded show today, got some notes, got some game preview, of course, got some game review, you know it. I have some thoughts on the tournament in general, the tournament that was, the tournament that will be. It was it was a great weekend of basketball, Thursday all the way through Sunday. It was really interesting. I thought Friday, a lot of the big seeds, a lot of the teams, sort of saw what happened on Thursday with like Kentucky and Iowa, uh, some minor upsets here and there with Michigan, of course, over um, who did Michigan state, who did Michigan beat uh, Colorado state, right? The Rams. I think the teams on Friday were like a little wary and they just took care of business Friday. Not so great in terms of the basketball, but still fun to watch. And uh, over the weekend, of course, just some really some craziness, down goes Baylor. I think we all knew that Baylor was going to be the weakest number one seed. And that sort of proved itself despite a little help from three striped sons of guns. We'll get to that in just a second. You're listening to the Believe in Jayhawk show on the Believe Network, your number one home for professionals. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Here's what I believe. Wednesday show had to get this out here had so many thoughts in my brain couldn't really imagine much was going to change between now and of course tomorrow when the first set of sweet 16 games happen and of course not too much was going to change between now and Friday when Kansas takes the floor at about 630 central time 630 ish central time uh, that would be 430 Pacific 730 ish on the east 130 Hawaiian. It's listed at 429 Pacific. So I'm just calling, I'm just rounding up one. They'll be on the United Center floor. The crowd is going to be a little different than perhaps expected. No, there won't be Iowa fans. <laughs> oh, we'll get to Iowa in just a second. No, there won't be Wisconsin fans. <laughs> oh, we'll get to the Big Ten in just a moment. But there will be. 
crazy Iowa State fans who will surely lap up those tickets. So if you're in the Chicago land area, if you're in the breadbasket of the Midwest, get on up there to the United Center, make that a home court advantage. Because I legitimately am wondering, actually, as Kansas takes on the Providence Friars, Ed Cooley, who's very likable, unfortunately. It's always tough when the other team's coaches. Kind of a cool dude. So Kansas plays first, 630 Central. Iowa State, Miami fans are going to start filtering in. And if there's a lot of Iowa State fans, do they go pro Big 12 if it's a close game? Do they show their anti-Kansas bias, which we know they have a lot of, if you've ever watched a game, either in Hilton Coliseum or even just on TV when Kansas goes to Ames? That's if it's a close game with Providence, which I, I would imagine it will be. But no Iowa, no Wisconsin. This was going to be like the true battle of the Midwest with all these teams, with Kansas, of course, and their large Chicago delegation of alumni. United Center, Kansas. I feel like uh, KU only plays at the United Center for some Champions Classics now and then, right? Can't remember the last tournament game, if ever, in recent memory. Bill Self was bringing it up maybe in like 07. I don't know. Anyways, if you want to reach me, if you have any thoughts on what I say here, if you want to just want to talk about the tournament, such a fun time, right? Twitter at Joe Nasty 90, Instagram at Jonas N 310. And uh, let's just dive right in, even though I sort of, sort of have already, right? A few notes real quickly. I've got a fun little segment of some observations from last weekend. And then we're going to dive in like full Kansas Jayhawks. I know you want to get into like what I saw versus Creighton. I want to, I know you want to get into what to expect versus Providence, but here's the deal. There's a, there's a lot that happened just in the world of basketball. The scene has shifted, right? And I'll start with this note as the overarching umbrella statement. Yeah. I mentioned it last week. And it very much holds true now. For better or for worse, probably for worse. I just love what's happened with Kansas's bracket. I loved it before. I thought Auburn was a team that had been sort of slogging its way through SEC play. That bore itself out as they lost to Miami in pretty emphatic fashion. Taking a lot of hero ball shots. Couldn't hit their threes. Just like it was just was the case during their conference play. You know, Iowa was hot, but this was still a five seed, right? And if you're going to make the Sweet 16, you're going to play a good team. Turns out, Iowa didn't even make it. And, you know, they didn't get Kentucky. Not that it mattered. <laughs> so... Here's the statement. I feel as good about this bracket and Kansas's path. And a lot of people are saying this as well. But the last time there was such confidence in Kansas's path was probably 2011. Did they make the Final Four in 2011? God, no. That was the VCU in the Elite Eight game, losing to VCU. Big upset, of course. But... What happened in that game was that VCU was uncharacter uncharacteristically hot. Kansas was uncharacteristically cold. 
couldn't hit anything. And that's unfortunately the nature of the beast when it's a one-off, right? Win or go home. Single sample size. You play these games 100 times, Kansas probably wins about 95 of them. But you got to go with what's in front of you, and you got to play the odds, and the odds are that Kansas is certainly favored. Now, do I feel good about them winning the national championship at the moment? I don't because of what's waiting for them around the bracket, and there's got to be other teams taking care of business for Kansas. I don't think Kansas would beat Gonzaga. I don't. Even though Gonzaga has struggled in their 1-16 versus game against Georgia State, even though they had a tough time with Memphis, like you saw the, the strength and the power down below of Gonzaga. Not only Timmy, not only Chet Holmgren, Andrew Nemhard, Strother played well, Rashir Bolton, former Iowa State player. Like it's not a good matchup for Kansas, and it's okay to say that. And that's why I think Texas Tech can take care of business. But they got to get through Duke first, which they can. Do I think Kansas can beat Arizona? I don't really think that. I know that a team in TCU that Kansas has beaten uh, two out of three times just pushed Arizona to overtime, pushed them to the brink, probably should have won that if not for some three other guys in black and white, which we'll get to. But this, this tournament's all about matchups, right? And I mean this tournament specifically, 2022. Not like this tournament in a general sense. Like this year, it's coming down to matchups. TCU has the athleticism. TCU has the grit. TCU has the offensive rebounding capabilities to really stick it to Arizona, which they did. Arizona's long, athletic, and explosive. That to some degree took over, especially with Benedict Matherin. And I don't think that's Kansas's game. Again, that's okay to admit. Arizona's very, very vulnerable. And they have a very losable game coming up against Houston. Houston is gritty also defensively, well coached. And so that is a losable game for Arizona. So right now, I love Kansas's chances of making the Final Four. I would not put them as a championship favorite. I wouldn't. And that, again, is fine. Villanova is still lurking, right? And Lord knows how Kansas plays against Villanova in March. Not great. So some really quick notes. After the victory over Creighton, Kansas tied Kentucky for the all-time wins record. So... Congratulations to the Kansas Jayhawks. Congratulations to Bill Selfs, who, since his hiring, has made up 49 wins on the Kentucky Wildcats. So that's since fall of 2003. It's been a long time. But Kentucky has, of course, you know, had some success over the years. But with Kentucky's collapse in the semifinal of the SEC tournament, where Kansas was able to make up a win or two, and then... Of course, Kentucky's catastrophic choke job against St. Peter's, who's actually pretty good. Kansas had the opportunity to pick up two wins here in March. And with a victory over Providence, the Kansas Jayhawks basketball program would be the winningest program in the nation. 
So a little something extra root for on Friday on top of, you know, moving on to the lead eight details. Also, congratulations, just named yesterday on Tuesday. I'm recording this on Wednesday. I wanted to make sure this was out. I wanted to get my thoughts out. I wanted to get this out there. But announced yesterday, incoming freshman, current high school senior, Grady Dick, was named the Gatorade National Player of the Year. Congratulations, Mr. D. Already the Kansas Player of the Year for Gatorade. This was a little bit surprising. Like I knew Grady Dick is a really good player, and this is a highly touted player. Uh, depending on which recruiting service you look at, 24-7 has him as like the 24th ranked prospect. ESPN has him at like 11. Always been a big ESPN recruiting guy, <laughs> clearly. There's players who are highly ranked. You know, the announcement says the Gatorade National Player of the Year takes into account academics. It takes into account off the court kind of stuff. So I don't know if that sort of played a hand for Grady on top of the fact that he's just a great basketball player, not saying that the players ranked ahead of him and recruiting rankings are bad kids, but who knows? seems like Grady Dick does some like charitable work off the court, which other kids might do as well, but he's the one who got the votes really awesome. Kansas of course has a great recruiting class coming in. Something we haven't said for a while for one reason or another. Grady Dick, MJ Rice, Zuby Ejiofor, other players, Ernest Uday. But got to live in the here and now, correct? That's right. Okay. I want to get into a very scientific segment right now. And again, if you have any thoughts on what I'm talking about, Instagram, JonasN310, Twitter, at Joe Nasty 90. The weekend was amazing, but I'm a cynic. The better story is always in the losing locker room. So I just had some thoughts. And yes, this is really high level thinking here. But I wanted to think about after Thursday through Sunday, who sucked? And I've got some thoughts on some teams, players, groups that just sucked. Ready? All right, here we go. Let's start right at the top. The Big Ten, you suck. (laughs) The Big Ten, I believe, had nine teams into the tournament. The Big Ten has two teams In the Sweet 16, by the way, of those nine teams, none of them were ranked higher than a three seed. Parity, but nothing really that strong at the top. Your conference tournament winner, Iowa, the darling of the media, couldn't make it out of the first round. Wisconsin, a three seed, your co-regular season champion, lost in the second round in Milwaukee. And within the Big Ten, you know who especially sucked? Indiana. My God. That could have been Oklahoma, right? And I mentioned it last week. The game against Wyoming was not fun to watch. Yes, they had travel issues. But then Indiana goes in and gets annihilated by St. Mary's. 
not even competitive from the start. The Big Ten, what a joke. You know who else part of the Big Ten? Michigan State. Are you kidding me? You have Duke right there. You have a chance for Tom Izzo to finally get one over on Coach K. Yes, I know he ended Zion and R.J. Barrett's season years ago. But when they do the legendary coaches comparison, it's not close. But the feather he could have had in his cap, couldn't do it. Could not close it out. Michigan State, you had the nation in your palms. You had 11 million people watching the game. Wow. And he got away from Michigan State. My God. Put it together. At the end of the year, they were who we thought, right? Kansas played them in the first game of the year at the Champions Classic. Looked wildly mediocre. And eventually, they crumbled like a scone. And you know who else really stank it up? I was told, and I already mentioned them, but here we go again. I and you were told that the Iowa Hawkeyes with Keegan Murray, I may have called him Keegan Bradley on last week's show. I'm not sure. That's a golfer. The Murray brothers, Keegan Murray, Jordan Bohannon. This was a team, uh, both McCaffrey brothers, by the way, the coach's son. Free-flowing. Offensive powerhouse. You've never seen shot making an offense like this before. This team's on fire. They average like 200 points per game. Kansas is the one seed. Well, bad news for them. Should they even make the Sweet 16? Here comes the Iowa Hawkeyes blazing down the trail. First round upset. I'm not even sure they shot 40% in that game against Richmond. They were just clanging shots left and right, taking bad shots especially Patrick McCaffrey. Again, the coach's son. For being a coach's son, he took some really bad shots. Contested, off one foot, leaning left, shooting right. Keegan Murray, the numbers are going to look pretty good for him. I think he got around 20 points, but it was a slow slog of an evening for Keegan. There was a point where they had just put him in the low post because he couldn't hit anything from the outside. So Iowa, wow, what an offensive juggernaut. Gone and forgotten. Big 10, you suck. No, who else stinks? Memphis. Penny Hardaway. I don't want to talk about keeping your head held high against Gonzaga. This is a team with athletic firepower dripping out of their power out of their pores. Jalen Dern, Amani Bates, Harris, the point guard. This should be a number one or at least top three seed force. And they showed it for about a half. And then again, they crumbled. You had Gonzaga right there. You were the perfect matchup in an 8-9 setting to go up against Gonzaga. Yes, Nemhard and the rest of the guards are good, but Gonzaga goes through the bigs. If you didn't see it last week, I think, or if you didn't really get what I was saying before the tournament, You probably saw it certainly in that game against Memphis. Once Drew Timmy got rolling and he got going in that second half, that's when Gonzaga hit a different gear. But Memphis had the girth. They had the strength. They had the electricity to to stymie 
Gonzaga. And it slipped out of their grasp. I thought it was just horrible to watch. You know who else stank? John Calipari. (laughs) Well done, John. Going up against those peacocks. Kentucky didn't make the tournament last year. They haven't won a tournament game in over a thousand days. He gave up the all-time wins record. And you know what else John Calipari did? You know, the, the players are one thing. This is a really tough pressure cooker for players. These guys are technically not paid. You know, these are not millionaires. Well, maybe in some cases. You know, they have to sort of worry about school. Like the pressure of the moment would get to the kids. That's part of the experience. But John Calipari, that's slime ball, in his interviews during the game and after the game, essentially was playing the blame game. And what really stuck out to me was he talked about his team's inexperience. I love when John Calipari does that because you know why they're inexperienced? Because it's the teams that you build. You build freshmen you know, I don't want to say powerhouses. I've been saying that a lot, but he, he's always tried to build McDonald's All-American teams, right? Even this year, a little bit more veteran experience. A lot of transfers. Oscar Sheboy from West Virginia, who never made the tournament. Jacob Toppin came in. Shavir Wheeler, and then Ty Ty Washington, of course, a freshman. But not really any tournament experience on that team. But that's the team you built. If you wanted tournament experience, then don't bring those guys in. But instead, he's going there. Oh, you know, well, we just don't have any experience. God forbid it's your fault, Johnny boy. God forbid you don't have a good game plan for St. Peter's. Peacock up, by the way. Get your strut on, St. Peter's. Wow, what a story. And they're just legit playing well, right? Yes, my bracket was ruined. I had Kentucky in the national championship game. Whatever. Kentucky loses to St. Peter's, the Peacocks. And I'm proud as a Peacock after that game. John Calipari, you suck. But I think the biggest travesty from Thursday to Sunday, I think I do a really good job of not really dealing with refereeing, right? Tell me if I'm wrong. Kansas had their ups and downs this year. Kansas certainly had their ups and downs last year. Never once would I say, oh, the refereeing was not great. But, you know, Twitter's been around, what, 13, 14, 15 years, maybe a little bit longer at this point. So that means we've had Twitter alongside the tournament, let's call it for a good portion of time. I don't think... I've seen such an outrage about officiating in the tournament more than I did this year. And this comes after, of course, remember Virginia getting fouled against Auburn in the final four a couple years ago, down three on a three-point shot. Everyone's like, yeah, that's probably fouled. Do you need to call up there? No. But there was an outrage. There was an actual, like, what are these guys doing this year? And I have to say, I completely agree. In one game, you've got Miami driving against USC. Down by one, and they call the late foul. 
You've got Charlie Moore probably getting slapped on the arm. We'll get to Charlie a little bit later. Sinks the free throws. Miami wins. You've got Mike Miles getting shoved down at half court in TCU against Arizona. Okay, well, there's no consistency, right? Miami gets the late game foul call. TCU does not. And I, I don't really know the best way to, to frame this statement. So here's what I wrote. I don't think I've noticed to this extent ever. Referees calling games to, I'm calling it the narrative. They're calling games to a narrative. They need to get the game a little bit closer, right? This game's a blowout. Oh, we've sort of noticed, uh, and this statement, I know we sometimes joke about it. We see it sometimes during like KU games, like one team has seven fouls. We better call a few. But like, I've seen it every single tournament game. Like, let's get this. I really don't think referees care about which seed moves on, but like that Arizona game, like it all went to Arizona, especially late game and overtime. And the UNC, the North Carolina Baylor game, my God, that was atrocious. Baylor was tossing around Carolina players like a rugby match in their full court press. And this is what I'm talking about, playing to a narrative. Whistling to a narrative. Yeah, it's a 20-point game. Baylor's running a press. Should we get this tight? Get some more viewers? Do I really think that's what went through their mind? No, not really, but like, that's what it looked like. And then when North Carolina dared put a hand on a Baylor player as they were driving or playing basketball, whistle immediately. The Brady Manic elbow, you know, not the right call, obviously but it was the officiating within the press that really got Baylor back in the game. The technical foul for the Illinois player on that dunk. Travesty, obviously. And the TCU-Arizona game. Mike Miles, again, body slammed right at midcourt with a referee staring right at him. That should have been Mike Miles going to the free throw line. Did he exaggerate a bit? Yeah, he probably did. But there was no freedom of space. There was nowhere to move. The Arizona player stuck his hips right into Miles. I, I thought the refereeing was just awful. And I'm not a referee guy. I'm always the guy who says refereeing is bad no matter what. You can't blame a game on a referee, especially late game. Because there's probably about seven different instances over the course of a game or a match or whatever where you didn't need to be in that situation. Which is 100% true. But it can also be true that I, I think they've just been awful. Bonus suck. Clock operators. I think just about every other game I watched. One would be fine because there's a lot of late game situations here, right? There's a lot of problems with the clock even starting. There's a lot of problems with the shot clock even starting. There's a lot of problems with the clock and the shot clock being synced up. There's a lot of instances where they had to make sure they had the right amount of time, which just eats up into my life of them sitting there being like, oh, is it 2.1 seconds? Is it 2.4? 
The tournament last year was in the bubble, and it seems like everyone nationwide now, now that the tournament has expanded once again, is like, oh, those guys in Indianapolis were doing okay. I, I, I sort of forgot how to do basketball clocks. So that's who sucked. Tell me your thoughts. Anyone else suck? <laughs> you let me know. So here we go. Kansas versus Providence. The Friars, who won the regular season Big East title. What are the Friars good at? Honestly, not really anything. And I say that in the fact that they don't like excel in anything. They're not like the best defensive team out there like San Diego State. They're not really a great three-point shooting team, although they looked like it against Richmond. They score 71.8 points per game. That's 123rd in Division I. They make 43.8% of their shots. That's 163rd in the nation. They average about 13 assists per game. That's in the 130s. And when they lose, they tend to get annihilated. Three of the five. They're outscored by at least 18, including a loss in the Big East tournament to Creighton, where they lost. I have it right here. Pardon me. Da, 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 da. They lost to Creighton 85 to 58. Now, a couple weeks prior, they did beat Creighton 72 to 51. If you're looking for common wins and opponents, they did actually beat Texas Tech this year, 72 to 68. The fact that they scored 72 in that game, pretty impressive against Texas Tech's gnarly row, defense. They did lose to a not great Virginia team, though. So, here's the thing about Providence. They're actually number one in Ken Palm's, Ken Pomeroy's luck rating. That essentially means analytically they're winning games in real life that their expected record, like based on the games that they play, who really knows what the factor is, but there's a, there's a big gap between what their actual record is and analytically what is expected of them based on the games that they've played. They've won 11 games by five or fewer points this year. And so, yes, they're comfortable playing close games. But also, you put a little pressure on them, as I talked about, and they might fold. Now, in their game against Richmond, it's like, who do you watch out for? They spread the wealth pretty well. Noah, and I, I'm sorry, I watched the game, but I don't remember how to pronounce his name. Horchler, Horkler, H-O-R-C-H-L-E-R, nor Horchler. I'm going to go with that. On fire. 16 points, four of six from deep. They have a player and they have a starter by the last name of Manaya. You might recognize that if you are a baseball fan. That is the son, and they showed him in the crowd, of former New York Mets GM Omar Manaya. So if he brings any of the expertise from the baseball diamond to Providence, chances are, you know, they might have some moments where they play pretty well, but something hilarious is going to happen. 
and they're just going to combust down the stretch. That's my hope. He only scored nine points. But four of the five starters for Providence against Richmond were in double figures. Al Durham, he's amongst the leading scorers on the season for them. He got 13 against Richmond. Horkler, by the way, is a guy who actually transferred in. So a guy, again, who has a lot of experience. This is an older team. So, yeah, that's Providence. They have a fifth-year senior center in Nate Watson, who averages about 13.5 points per game and five rebounds. So that's the matchup to watch, him versus Big Dave. A fifth-year senior guard, that's Durham. And then Jared Bynum, a junior guard. Again, older team. They all basically average about the same amount of points. So here's the deal with this game. Kansas is a seven and a half point favorite, which is about as good as you want for a sweet 16 game, right? I think they would have been favored by about a point to three over Iowa, which is basically a pick them seven and a half point favorite. That's a pretty good situation to be in when you're in a sweet 16 game. I think ESPN's matchup predictor has Kansas as like winning 70% of the time. If you want to break it down really down to the nitty-gritty, I'm ripping this from Jesse Newell's Twitter feed. I just watched it before I got on air. If you want to take any positives from Kansas's sort of herky-jerky offensive effort against Creighton, and herky-jerky, they still scored 79 points, which is something I want to get to in just a second. But the defensive style that Creighton played against Kansas, sort of the sagging off of the point guard um, on the pick and roll, playing soft, making sure that Kansas shoots over the defense as opposed to probing and battling over screens, which could give Kansas and their point guards and the other the rest of their players an opportunity to turn the corner and get down to the basket. Essentially, what I'm trying to say is Creighton clogged the middle of the paint. Providence ran that exact same Defense actually against Richmond. This forced a lot of mid range jumpers. This forced, again, Kansas to shoot over the top of the defense as opposed to penetrating or being able to drive and then kick. But something Kansas also didn't do, as Jesse pointed out, is they didn't really do a great job of getting out to the corners very well. There weren't a lot of options. So if Remy Martin, who has been brilliant, or if Ochayabaji, came around to screen, had acres of space in front of them. Yes, they could take the mid-range jumper, which is not a great shot for uh, these Kansas players, especially Abaji. Remy Martin is decent in the mid-range, but you'd rather he get himself sort of dug in, make things difficult for the defense, put them in a situation where they have to choose, do I get out to the corner or do I leave Remy Martin at the basket? Instead of all that happening, Kansas had guys not really in the right place, and those guys weren't in the corners. So Richmond took and missed a lot of those mid-rangers against Providence, and they beat them down, 79-51. to Now, Kansas has more and higher quality players than Richmond, at least so we think. Although if you watch Kansas last year, basically the same roster as this year for the most part, they told you that there's no talent on this team. I'm still, I'm still on that. 
So should Kansas do a better job of spacing, making sure everyone is where they should be? If they turn down initially those mid-rangers, if Kansas plays pretty good defense and gets out and runs, there's not a lot of teams that can stick with these go-go Jayhawks when they get out in transition. That's where they're going to really get down to it. That's where they're going to make their bread. Sorry, call coming in. Don't they know we're talking about the Hawks? That's what I expect against Kansas. I think that after what happened against Creighton, I think it's going to get really drilled into their heads. And that's, you know, that's, I think, going to be the difference. I think that's when Kansas makes some some headway against Providence. So let's quickly do a little bit of a review. We won't talk about Texas Southern. Kansas treated them like the 16th seed that they were, albeit Texas Southern with their depth and energy and athleticism. Did have some moments, blocked a couple shots. But Kansas, too good, too big, too fast. It is what it is. But the Creighton game. So Kansas ends up winning by seven. What were my biggest worries coming into this tournament? And some of the things that I'm really happy about after last weekend. If Kansas had gone on one of their patented offensive droughts that we've seen so many times this year, they lose that game to Creighton. They did enough over the course of the game to continually score, to get a bucket here or there. Maybe they go quiet for about a 5-0 run for Creighton here or there. But Remy Martin, Remy Martin was fantastic all weekend long. Unbelievable. Off the bench, Remy Martin scoring 20 points. That kept Kansas there. That won them the game, essentially. But they didn't go on the, on the droughts. 39 points in the first half, 40 points total in the second half. That's some good offense. And in a performance that, again, I would call herky-jerky, Christian Brown, didn't really get going until late. Ochai Baji, pretty bad. 5 of 14 shooting, only one made three. 15 points. Jalen Wilson, it looks good when you see the 14 points, but he took 14 shots to get there, including the fact that he didn't make a three-point shot. You know, he still scores 79 points. That's a pretty good effort. They withstood a barrage of fluky three-point shooting from Creighton. Arthur Kaluma, a guy who averaged about nine points per game, ends up with 24. (laughs) Alex O'Connell, the Duke transfer, a guy who hadn't really flourished yet. 16 points, of course, three made threes. Creighton, a team that was not a good three-point shooting team all year, finished with 12 made on 43% shooting. It was that kind of game. Kansas withstood it. I worry about the details. I worry about the free throw shooting. How about this? Kansas went 19 of 20 from the free throw line. And that one miss, that was at the end of the game. You may remember when I think it was who missed the one free throw. The numbers here, Oche Abaji missed the one free throw. And it was immediately rebounded by Jalen Wilson because Creighton didn't realize that Kansas was still in one and one. It wasn't the double bonus. They were just standing there. Jalen Wilson grabbed that rebound and went right back to the line. So the one miss at the free throw line wasn't even a big deal. Kansas got the ball immediately back. And perhaps for the first time 
all season long, Kansas got the defensive stops when it mattered most. Boy, was I nervous. Yes, the first one, probably a little bit more fortuitous. Creighton drove to a spot where they shouldn't have. The player, I forget who it was, I apologize, left his feet to pass, and that gave Ochai Abaji an easy steal for the dunk, for the game, not ceiling dunk, but got the job done. And then right after just a piss-poor offensive possession that finished in a David McCormack contested hook shot at the rim that he missed, of course. He, of course, saved the day. Rim protection 101. Game-winning block right there within the last minute of play. So that was a true great defensive stop with a defensive enforcer at the rim. The Abaji one, right place, right time. Perhaps you could say Kansas forced Creighton into that turnover. Seemed more like a panic play. And Kansas comes away with the victory. Not pretty. But, you know, in March, style points don't mean anything as long as you got that W next to your name. I would get more in-depth with Miami and Iowa State. The thing is, you know about Iowa State, right? Isaiah Brockington, TJ Osselberger, the new coach, who basically coaches a wrestling team how to play basketball. (laughs) Defensive, hardcore, uh, culture, Gabe culture. You know the deal. You've seen Iowa State twice this year. Miami's interesting. Bunch of transfers. A couple of guys that KU knows about already. Cameron McGusty coming from Oklahoma to Miami. And then, of course, old Charlie Moore. What a tournament Charlie's had. Last time you saw Charlie, probably, was him not really looking like he belonged on the court in a Kansas uniform. But he's gone to Miami and he's flourished. He's doing great. Was excellent against USC. And he was really pulling the strings in that upset over Auburn. Should Kansas play one of those teams? Certainly they'd be favored over Iowa State. Uh, They've beaten them twice this year. One in overtime, of course. Last second. Or no, no, it wasn't overtime. It was just the last second shot by Dewan Harris. That'd be a crazy crowd. There in Chicago, Cyclone Alley meeting the fog in the United Center. Miami would be interesting. What a great coach they have in Jim Laranega. If you do remember, used to be the coach at George Mason when they made that run to the Final Four back in 2006, 07. One of those years because they got destroyed by Florida. I think it was 06. Has gone to Miami and put together just a really good program. Had a one seed several years ago with Shane Larkin, Barry Larkin's son, the Baseball Hall of Famer. He's got it going again. Uh, The off-guard Wong, I think, would cause some trouble for Kansas. He's athletic. He's life. He's able to create shots. Be interesting. Um, I guess I would rather play Iowa State, right? I think I've talked about on the show. Sometimes I root for games, especially this time of year, where, like, the loss would hurt less, and losing to Iowa State would be very painful in Elite Eight. But I think they're the lesser of the two teams. And I'm sure I'm not really sure about TJ Otzelberger yet, really. 
Like, I love his passion. He turned around this two-win Iowa State team into the Sweet 16. And I love the point guard. You know, I should have realized this as Kansas was playing them twice. Maybe they mentioned it during the games. But the story, I think his last name's Hunter. Uh, losing both of his parents by the time he was in eighth grade, being raised by his brother, his brother being there watching the game. Unbelievable. And he was great in their first round win. And I love Isaiah Brockington's game from the mid-range. Kansas had nothing to stop him in their first match at the Fieldhouse. But I do believe Iowa State is the lesser of the two teams, and they have the lesser of the two head coaches between Otzelberger and Jim Laranega. So, here we go. I think we've got some really great matchups this weekend. I'd say of the eight, probably five or six I'm really looking forward to. I have a feeling Gonzaga will probably wipe the floor with Arkansas. Uh, Purdue's playing amazing. And shout out to the Big 12. Speaking of Purdue, you know, Texas doesn't really count for the Big 12 anymore. They lost to Purdue. But Houston... Houston, the true Big 12 member left, or or one of the four. Kansas, Iowa State, Texas Tech, and I'm counting Houston in the Big 12 as well. Uh, North Carolina, UCLA should be great. If Jaime Jaquez is, is healthy enough to play, which I just saw a video of him walking to the bus, could have been an act. But Carolina seems to have found something here in the late season. Brady Manick, who you know from his time in Oklahoma, is playing like a maniac. And Duke, Texas Tech. Texas Tech is the number one defense in the country. Duke hasn't faced a defense, I think, in the top 30 all year. Duke is very young, average age 19. Texas Tech is very old, average age like the low 20s. I think Villanova probably wiped the floor with Michigan. And then, of course, there is that Miami-Iowa State game, which probably not the best game of the weekend, but certainly the most intriguing for Kansas fans, depending what happens in the first game in Chicago. If Providence wins, couldn't care less about that game. Hopefully they don't. Let me know your thoughts. Looking forward to watching the games. It's been a long week already, and it's only going to get longer as we sit here. Kansas playing on Friday. And so enjoy the games tomorrow. It all starts off at 6 p.m. Central time with Arkansas and Gonzaga. And we'll finish up late Friday night with Iowa State, Miami. That's just the Sweet 16. Hopefully Kansas is playing on Sunday. And then, of course, hopefully they're playing the Saturday after that. Take care. Get your exercise in now while you still can because hopefully there's a long weekend ahead of us. Until we speak next week, either it's going to be a requiem for the season or it's going to be a Final Four preview. What's it going to be? Only one way to find out. Take care. Have fun. Have a good, like, frozen pizza or something. And rock chop. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.